Welcome back to the King of Games 1992 on the Retro Hangover podcast. It's me, Chris Copeland, to host this episode. And we got a big one today. We got probably the best of the East with Dragon Quest V against the most highest selling game in the West, Sonic the Hedgehog 2. And this one's going to be a doozy. I have no idea which way this one is going to go. But to help me decide which game is going to go on to the next round. I have two great guests for you here today. Introducing first from My Life in Gaming, we have Try. Try, welcome to the King of Games 1992. Glad to be here. You might be you might not expect to hear me on a Sonic related podcast, so you can probably guess which way I might be inclined to swing here. Uh, we'll, we'll see how this goes. We'll always keep an open mind, as, as we are uh, want to do. At least we, we try to be. All right. And one of our patrons, also the host of the Main Quest podcast, it is my pleasure to welcome back to the King of Games 1992 after moving Mega Man 5 into the round of 16. It is Keith Gasper. Keith, how are you doing, man? Good, dude. Glad to be here. Um, I kind of went through a whole spiel the last time I was on, but thanks again for formally inviting me onto the king of games this year it's uh it's been a blast so far it's been a lot of fun thank you thank both of you for uh, stopping by i hope you're having a good time i know i am uh, i'm always on pins and needles about these things even though they're for fun and i don't i don't know why and maybe it's just uh it's video games i don't know <laughs> it's tournaments it's competitive ah all right anyway what we are going to do is we're going to take these two games, we are going to talk about them, then we're going to take four criteria, which is its critical and commercial reception, our own personal attachment, the game's legacy, and which game we would rather play head-to-head, and we're going to take a game and we're going to award which one is better between the two and these four criteria. Then at the very end of the episode, we are going to decide which game is going to advance into the round of eight, the quarterfinals, to compete against whatever game it's going to be up against. So to kick this off, we are going to start with Sonic the Hedgehog 2, which is the fifth seed in our tournament. Pretty high, pretty big deal. It was released on November 24th in North America. It's pretty much a universal release because I think it came out the 22nd or 23rd in Japan uh, of November. So all over the place, universal release, essentially. It was developed by Sega Technical Institute, and it was published by Sega. I haven't been able to find any game rankings, aggregator, Metacritic score for the original 1992 release, so I've had to, as I have been, going to GameFAQs to kind of get a general idea of what the pulse was from its aggregate scores, which are both retrospective and contemporaneous, uh, which is a 4.42 out of 5 for the critic score, and that's out of 8 reviews. And the users gave it 4.31 out of 5, and that's out of 3,733 reviews. Now, if you go back to 1992 and you look at some of the major publications, you have Famitsu giving it a 30 out of 40, EGM giving it a 35 out of 40, GamePro, like it gives every game a 5 out of 5, and you had... Uh, electronic games with a 91%. In terms of sales, it sold 6 million units worldwide. Uh, That includes bundles. The game was bundled with the Sega Genesis or Mega Drive, if you will. Uh, It's the second best-selling Genesis game, only behind its predecessor, Sonic the Hedgehog 1. Interestingly, it only sold 160,000 units in Japan, but that's kind of because the Mega Drive was a disaster there. It was the best-selling game of 1992 
in North America and Europe. And it was a runner-up for many Game of the Year nominations, Best Genesis game in many cases, and has kind of been ranked in some view in the top 100 games of all time by various publications over the years. You've heard too much of me talking, so I'm going to turn this over to try. So Sonic the Hedgehog 2, you already kind of said you're not a big Sonic guy. So what's kind of your impressions on Sonic the Hedgehog 2, this this platformer where you got to go fast? Yeah, well, I mean, when I was a kid, uh, I was Nintendo only for a long time. And then, you know, I eventually got PlayStation, but I didn't get into Sega stuff until much later when I was out of college. Uh, so Sonic was always kind of this, you know, fun looking platform character that was like kind of calling to me from a distance. And it's like, but I, I don't have that. I can't have that, but I'm curious. And I remember playing, you know, I think it was actually Sonic three, like in the store, but Sonic two, I want to say is the first game I probably ever attempted to run on emulator on my computer back in high school to see if it runs fast. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because it was this thing that I just, I did not have access to it. Otherwise, not a lot of my friends had Sega systems. So yeah, I, I, I was always very curious about, you know, this big platformer thing, because that was what I was into primarily when I was really young was platformers. Uh, and I, I always wanted to know more about Sonic. And it really wasn't until the virtual console that I really got to experience like Sonic 1, 2, and 3 more properly. Uh, I, I did, you know, get a real copy and a real Sega several years later. Uh, but that was my primary experience with the game. And I, I mean, I highly respect it. I'm actually surprised that some of those review scores weren't higher. Because, I mean, I do think it is kind of a technical marvel and really shows off the Genesis hardware well. I think it is extraordinarily well designed, uh, has an incredible soundtrack, but it's not necessarily my personal style of platforming, not what I personally really enjoy. I feel like in contrast to, you know, a lot of other older games, which I have found very easy to come to love as an adult, like games that I'd not played before. In contrast, I feel like Sonic is something that would really benefit by being something that you played as a kid, that you just played again and again and again and again and got to learn inside and out because all the different like up and down and in the middle and all the different pathways that you can take, the way that they're strung together is ingenious, really. But I feel like if you're just, if you're old like us <laughs> and you're like, kind of really working through this game for the first time, it's like you you don't have the time to really learn it and really get familiar with it. But if you've taken that experience with you from childhood where you just know that game so well, I can really see where the appeal is. But it's it's a I think it's a harder sell for people who weren't young when they first played it. That's an interesting perspective. I haven't really considered that one. Keith, I, I have this feeling like you're, you're a massive Sonic fan and you just love Sonic the Hedgehog. I don't know what it is, but what, what's your impressions of this game? You know, what, what, what kind of your initial impressions without going too much into the criteria later on? Right. Yeah, I don't want to give away too much of my personal attachment up front here. Uh, I, You know, I'm a generic millennial. I grew up with Sonic. I was a two console 
household. So I had a Super Nintendo and a Genesis as well. Yeah, I just I want to kind of just go back to the first game real quick because I, I don't think the success of that game should be understated. And it's it's weird because when I think about Sonic 1, I, I don't know in hindsight how anybody enjoyed that game as much as, much as they did. It's the worst of the original three, in my opinion, and not like Mm. not in the way that like Super Mario Brothers is like inferior to Super Mario Brothers three or something like that. In my opinion, I genuinely just think Sonic one is a bad game. But no matter what I think, it, it doesn't matter. Like it was huge. It was a cultural phenomenon. You know, they're from it stemmed the cartoon shows, the comics. Of course, there were like toy lines and stuff like that. You know, Sonic was that therapy that people needed to get over that Mario mania, you know? (laughs) So, and then uh, it dethroned Alter Beast as the packing title uh, because of various reasons, which could be, you know, an episode all on its own. So, yeah, the fact that there was going to be a Sonic 2 was just kind of like a no brainer back then. And,. I do have, believe it or not, quite the personal attachment to that game. And looking at the history of it and how it even came to be developed, you know, you got Mark Cerny involved who started STI. And you have the fallout from, uh, they weren't Sonic Team yet. They, They didn't become Sonic Team until much later, if I'm remembering correctly. But you have the fallout of the developers uh, when they were working for Sega of Japan. And then they came over to work with Mark Cerny at STI to create Sonic 2. It's it's one of those sequels kind of like Mega Man 2. That's like it almost didn't happen. But a certain number of like per, it's like it was like the perfect storm of circumstances happened. And it just kind of fell back into Yuji Naka's lap. I I don't want to give away too much of my feelings, but <laughs> I mean I think it's so interesting listening to you say that you think Sonic One is a bad game um, because yeah, you know yeah. speaking speaking for myself and as well as you know two of my other closest friends who are not also like the biggest Sonic fans either, although one of them did grow up with the Genesis. Uh, I'm talking about Corey, of course. <laughs> All of us that aren't big Sonic fans. We like Sonic one better than two or three. Um, and I think it's because it's, I I do agree that Sonic one doesn't take advantage of the character as much. Uh, Sonic two really lets the character, the concept of the character shine where you can really go fast. Sonic one is more of a traditional platformer with elements of that. Gotta go fast. But I, I, I can't deny that like, Sonic 2 makes more sense for the character. It's just not as much for me. Yeah, and I, I'm going to kind of agree with both of you here and, and I guess disagree with, with Keith a little bit because I think there's a reason why we can never do a King of Games 1990 or a 91 is because it would be Sonic and Mario. I mean, that would be the obvious two choices because they were just released then. You're like you, you can't even compete with them. Like every other mm-hmm. game would just be unquestionable just because of the, the how massive those games were uh so sonic 2 i mean it's no slouch obviously you know being the the best-selling game in north america and europe for that year that's big big deal 
uh, the marketing campaign was huge. I think if any, if you were a kid back in 1992, there was no escaping Sonic the Hedgehog 2. And it, and it kind of had to be, right? Because if you look at this tournament, I mean, there's it's not like there were no other good Sega games. But in this tournament, the way that we, we ranked it out in the group that we had, only two Sega Genesis games made it into the tournament out of 20 games. And a Sega CD game made it, but it's more for the atmosphere around it more than the actual quality of the gameplay. So when we're looking at the Sega Genesis back in 1992, and you're comparing it to what's coming out on the Super Nintendo, even though Genesis was still dominating, it was starting to show some signs of weakness. Like Nintendo's third-party dominance was was definitely coming into play, even though they started to go over to Sega a little bit. But uh, you could argue, in a sense, that Sonic the Hedgehog 2, I mean, I won't say it saved Sega, but it definitely kept them relevant right and even go back to sonic one i love sonic one i don't i do not think it's a bad game I, i'm not going to go into how i necessarily think about it because i think that's going to be coming to play later but um sonic 2 yeah it was it was generally considered to be an, an advancement of the series in and of itself so it's interesting that the series took a, a dip in sales from sonic one Now, understand sonic one was a revolution uh and was like offered for free if you had a Sega Genesis already, and who's going to turn that down? It's kind of like Dragon Warrior with a Nintendo Power. Like, oh, I get a free game with a subscription? Oh, I got a Sega Genesis? I get a free game? Yeah, you're going to do that. I mean, still, you, you can't shake a stick of that. And in terms of the gameplay itself, having a co-op, like being able to finally having a, a game like Sonic the Hedgehog or a platformer, which up until that point was really relegated to having, you know, just you either take turns or it, it was like someone stole your life. But now you could be like, okay, I can play with my little brother or I can play with my friend who sucks at video games. They can be tails and they can die <laughs> as much as they want to. And it's fine until you get to the bonus stages, of course. That, which, that's actually uh, a really revolutionary concept. I, I hadn't yeah. really considered that. I mean, that's very similar to, you know, kind of the the, the soft co-op that we have these days where you're right. It is for the the person i mean i th that was showing that they were very cognizant of what the households were like that where they were people were playing these games like yeah there is the little brother who wants to play or you know the maybe the father who's into games with the son who you know can't play but it lets them yeah that that's actually that's that's a really cool feature and speaking from personal experience being that little brother that wanted to play you could very much play as Tails and still die and completely suck at the video game. <laughs> <laughs> but your but your presence wasn't too much of a detriment to the person who was trying to play for real. No, I, no, I think. <laughs> I do think one one knock about Sonic, and I'll, I'll talk about this probably more in the head to head, is that there's no save feature, which is kind of unfortunate because you did have Super Mario World that came out a year earlier uh, that did have the save feature, and Sonic Two is not a short game. Now, it's not a long game, but it's going to take you like an hour, an hour and a half to get through. Yeah. I mean, that that's that's a feature that really, if you look at the Genesis library as a whole, even the concept of infinite continues is almost non-existent yeah. on Genesis uh, compared to Super Nintendo. I mean, even NES, infinite continues are extremely common on NES. I think Sega games in general were go kind of going for more of that arcade mentality, hardcore. Um, you know, make it hardcore, even though you could keep in theory putting cores into an arcade machine. I think they were trying to make their games, you know, something that felt like a, a significant uh, accomplishment to get through. 
And, and, and depending on my mood, I appreciate one over the other. You know, if it continues can be very nice, but I also, you know, I mean, if I'm being honest, part of my reason for liking Sonic 1 more than 2 is it took me more effort to get through it. Like it just, and I felt like I got to know the game better. Uh, which that that's probably very backwards to how most people would think, but I don't mind having to start the game over because it helps kind of solidify the game in my mind. I get I get to remember the areas I've been through a little bit better. Although just the other day I watched Corey stream Sonic Origins and I was like, oh my gosh, I like actually only remember about half the areas in Sonic 1. But uh, but at the time, I did feel like the game made a stronger impression on me just because of the, the effort it took to get through. Whereas I thought Sonic 2, uh, despite also not having continues and also not having saves, was an easier game. There, there is a difficult, a huge difficulty spike in the last couple of stages. That is true. That I, is I will true. say, going back to what you said earlier about not only Sega really kind of sticking to its arcade roots, but what you said about playing Sonic Two at an early age and kind of knowing the ins and outs of it and getting being able to come back to it all these years later and, and enjoy it for what it is because you played it at such a young age. Sonic 2 very much kind of does rely on that Sega arcade style where you are going to die a lot if you don't know what you're doing Mm. and you're going to have to start over and play again, except it's just not in an arcade. It's on a home console. So I think that's that very much might be a intentional design decision, no matter, you know, how torn people are about that. I think that's a good spot to move on to our second game for today, our 12th seed, which is kind of low considering this what we're about to get into here. But hey, might be correct. We'll find out. Uh, we have Dragon Quest V, Tenku no Haniyome. I hope I said that right. Translated into Hand of the Heavenly Bride, as we came to know it when it came out in the United States much, much later. It was released on the 27th of September, only in Japan. And it was developed by Chunsoft and published by Enix. Not Square Enix, just Enix. As you can imagine, for a game that was only released in Japan, you really can't find any critical scores because, you know, no one in the United States really reviewed them. You could probably find them in Japanese publications, but those aren't as well documented here in the West, I would imagine. Uh, But if you do go to GameFAQs, much like we did for Sonic the Hedgehog 2, uh, it has a 4.28 out of 5 from two critics, so not big sample size and a 4.13 out of 5 from 329 users. Again, not a big sample size, not unsurprising. Uh, And the only contemporaneous score we can find is from Framitsu, which is a 36 out of 40, which uh, is comparative to games like Shin Megami Tensei. uh, And there was another game that was like a shocker. It's like a Bugs Bunny game or a Mickey game. Uh, This also got a 36 out of 40 that game. Unsurprising for Japan, really. So it's probably a Mickey game. Sales. It sold 2.8 million units. That was so 2.8 million is only in Japan, and it makes it the 16th best selling Super Nintendo game of all time. Uh, it's the best selling game of Japan in 1992. The band was so high for the game, it actually caused the price for the Super Famicom to increase in price, which is interesting. Awards, not really much you can speak to because, of course, most awards are documented by Western publications as far as we track them. But it was rated the 11th best game of all time by Famitsu in 2006 and the second best game of all time by TV Asahe in 2021, which had like a sample size of like 50,000 people who were surveyed for it, which is wild. 
It does have a couple remakes. Uh, we started out with Try Last Time. So I don't know what your familiarity is with this, Keith, but I will turn it over to you. What do you know about Dragon Quest V? What's your initial thoughts? So I wasn't a huge JRPG JRPG. That, that doesn't sound right when I say it. JRPG nerd uh, until probably like the mid to late 90s. And I, I never was into Dragon Quest really. Uh, still not really am. I've only played three in the series, including Dragon Quest V. So I don't really know too much about the game itself. I've only ever played the Super Famicom version. So fortunately, I have played it. I played it... The last time I did a full playthrough was maybe, oh man, like 12 years ago already at this point. And then I'm currently playing it. Um, I'm probably maybe five hours in or something. So I was playing it when I knew I was going to be on this panel. So just to kind of get a refresher. But other than that, I mean, I really don't know too much. I did find a, an old article on Shmuplations with a, an interview with uh, Koichi Nakamura, who was kind of talking about uh, he was the president of uh Chunsoft at the time and he was talking uh, kind of talking about the the development of Dragon Quest 5 and I guess the way they approached Dragon Quest 5 versus 4 was that um they really just wanted to kind of make the same thing again but have it be more more of a stable game with just some slight visual upgrades uh because they didn't want to make the fans feel like um you know they were taking taking this this fantasy world and, and putting it in a whole new direction they wanted it to feel familiar overall so they didn't really deviate too much of the visual style at, from from the previous game what they did instead was visually at least was just make these like subtle little details which i think were really neat like there's like some small reflections in the water the one thing that i really enjoyed was almost how seamless the battles are, the the random encounters, because you're not really pulled out of the world map. You are still able mm. to see the world map from the battle screen, which I think is just a kind of nice little touch, you know? Similar to Dragon Quest One, actually, in that that way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, see, I'm not even familiar well, with Dragon Quest see, I, I never... uh, two, two, three, and four took away the battle background. Uh, okay, it's just that's black I, screen. So it's actually kind of a callback. Okay, so that's why I, th- I I thought they were all just black backgrounds the the entire first four four games, but um yeah, I don't know. And, and then the, the Nakamura really kind of hammered home that they really wanted to just focus primarily on the story and characters because now they had all of this new hardware to do that. I I honestly think the biggest upgrade at least between four and five is the soundtrack. The the soundtrack is absolutely amazing. I'm blanking on the composer for this. Uh, Koichi Sugiyama. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, It's just, man, it's so, it's so good. You want to just talk about, I mean, Dragon Quest is for all intents and purposes, like a very vanilla, some would say, I'm not saying generic in the bad way, but it like a generic JRPG. And I feel like the the soundtrack just fit, just fits it so well. I, I don't think I've had a problem with any of the Dragon Quest soundtracks now that I think about it. But yeah, so that's that's just kind of like my brief history with, with the game. So 
I, you know, I, I think I was sort of saying it before, like how some games I feel like are very easy to get into as going back to an older game that you never played as a kid, but playing it for the first time as an adult. Some, some like Sonic, I think are maybe a little tougher to get into. Others like Dragon Quest, uh, you know, the first Dragon Quest that I seriously played was eight on the PlayStation 2, and that came out my senior year in college. And I, it just blew me away because I was like, wow, here is this RPG with like, you know, modern style graphics, but at the heart of it, it's got these very NES-like design sensibilities, which really kind of spoke to me. And, you know, as it turned out, that was kind of the philosophy of the whole series is doing the basics, but doing them just really, really well and consistently every time. You're not in for something too outrageous with a Dragon Quest game, but you know you're in for like, it, it's just, it's, it's the basics done really well. I don't know how else to put it. And, you know, I went on to play several others uh, in the series uh, as they became available in the U.S. and stuff like that. So so my love of Dragon Quest is actually kind of something that has been built up like after my college years. Uh, and I consider it one of my favorite series and games today. So I, I think that for me personally, that speaks really well of just the the, the design philosophy and the approach that the entire uh, series takes is that this is something that I've fallen in love with as an adult, not just as a kid, uh, not just something I'm taking from my childhood. Uh, but uh, that said, speaking for Dragon Quest V myself, this was one I was really excited to play for a long time uh, because for one, I I don't know if this is 100% true, but I kind of think it is. Uh, I, I was always under the impression that it was the fan favorite in Japan. Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely And and the core concept is just like kind of amazing where it's this, it takes place over uh, like around three decades of the first three decades of like the hero's life. And, you know, you get married, you choose your wife, you have children. Like this is, this is a massive game in terms of just the, the scope of time that it takes place over. And I was like, I, I really had it built up really big in my head. Uh, but by the time that it came out, the, the DS port of it came out here, uh, in the U S uh, the first time it was officially available in English, I played several other dragon quest games. I played one in seven, which are not my favorites. Um, those are actually my two bottom least favorite. Uh, I'd played four on the DS probably nine on the DS. I, I can't remember for sure if nine was out when the DS version of five released. But either way, it was like somewhere in the middle of my way working through the Dragon Quest series. And I I was actually kind of surprised how like I'm like, "Oh yeah, this is this is good. This is another good Dragon Quest." Uh it it it's it's for me personally, it's ended up very much in like the middle of my rankings, my personal rankings. But at the end of the day, it is still a Dragon Quest game. It is still just a, a simple but well-told story strung together with with simple but good mechanics. You know, what you were talking about earlier with the uh, the approach to the graphics and the music, uh, you know, it, it's very similar to what like Final Fantasy did, uh, where the 
first two Final Fantasy games on the Super Famicom really continued very much a similar sprite design and background tile design uh, from the Famicom games uh, where, you know, the characters are not particularly tall or anything. And it wasn't until like the last entries in those series on Super Famicom where they started to make the sprites a little taller. So this this game has like, it's, you're right, it's it's not visually uh, very much advanced from the Famicom. Part of me actually kind of likes the Famicom visual design more than the Dragon Quest, than the Super Famicom Dragon Quest V design. I don't know why, maybe I just find it kind of comfy on NES for some reason, but it's really with like Dragon Quest VI that they kind of advanced the style, which the style from Dragon Quest V was then later used again for the ports of one and two on Super Famicom. And then the style of Dragon Quest VI was kind of advanced into the port of three. But to be honest, I've not like actually put a lot of time into the actual Super Famicom versions or even the fan translated versions of those games yet. I, I absolutely intend to one day, but most of my experience revolves around the uh, the DS version, which is kind of the, the style of the four, five, and six remakes on DS uh, is derived from Dragon Quest VII on the PS1, uh, which... Also, then there was a port of Dragon Quest IV only in Japan uh, that was also built around that engine of these, uh, you know, sprite characters uh, set into a 3D world where you have a camera that you can rotate with the shoulder buttons. Uh, and so the DS port of four, very much based on that PS1 port of four, which is based on Dragon Quest Seven, And then so five is based on that. And I, I gotta be honest, I don't love that aesthetic that's that that dragon mm. quest seven derived aesthetic that much you hurt my feelings man oh really oh do you do you like seven <laughs> i love seven uh, i i, I, I love hear seven. i hear that the i get it i though. hear that the 3ds port is uh much improved i, I did finish seven but it's too. yeah i felt like they kind of just made it long because they could make it long and they knew people would buy it you know yeah. uh but yeah uh, but yeah, I, I, that, that style is, is not my favorite. Uh, so in, in that way, I kind of really do want to actually properly play through the super Famicom version of dragon quest five someday. I think part of my sort of like, eh, yeah, dragon quest five is kind of in the middle. I I've never been a huge fan of like recruiting monsters for your party and RPGs. Like I'm like, I'm a very fair weather Pokemon fan. Sometimes I skip a generation. Sometimes I get one and I just like play it till I beat it. I don't do anything crazy or competitive like out outside of Pokemon. Like I've never really been too into like the monster recruitment and then figuring out like, Oh, what monsters am I going to have in my party? And that you don't catch them all. huh? Yeah. Like it, it, that aspect of Dragon <laughs> Quest five kind of watered it down a little bit for me. But then later in the game, when you can have a party, that's just your family. Like that was the party that I thought had like meaning to me. Like I was like this, these are the characters that like are relevant to the story. Like I want my, the, the wife, I want the, the two children in the party. And so from that point in the game onwards, you, you can, uh, play with. I, I thought the game was better from that point forward, but the monster, the monster aspect, didn't do much for me. And then just to real quickly touch on what you were talking about the music, you know, Enix was at that time 
of course, Enix was really more just publishing games from a lot of developers, but a lot of their games, like I think of ActRaiser, were really good at making that, uh, you know, symphony in your Super Nintendo sort of sound. Uh, I think ActRaiser was probably more successful at that than Dragon Quest V. But, I mean, you know, Dragon Quest, I mean, the Dragon Quest music is very consistent and comfy throughout the series, except in some of, like, Eleven was pretty infamously, like, recycling a lot of stuff, and the new stuff was maybe kind of bad. I mean, Sugiyama was getting pretty, pretty old. I, I, I gotta be honest. Like, I don't have this problem with Final Fantasy. If you, like, played any given Final Fantasy track... Like, I could almost definitely tell you which Final Fantasy it was from. Dragon Quest? Mm, I'd probably struggle. I, I cannot tell you off the top of my head which, if you were just to put on, you know, Dragon Quest Symphonic Suite and you were like, which track is from Dragon Quest V? I could not tell you. Um, but, but it's good. I mean, the music is good. Sure. Certainly. I, I agree with pretty much everything you just said. I mean, even with the music, uh, Sugiyama is not my favorite composer no, no. by by a long shot uh all of us it's it's much like a like a sakura mm. was it uh, motoy sakura yes yes uh, oh my gosh not, maybe i'm not saying his name right <laughs> but i can't tell you what game any of his music's from unless it's a bad yes music. his stuff like 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 the first the first sakuraba game you play you're probably like yeah this is a really good soundtrack and then every sakuraba game you play after that feels like mm -hmm. these were the rejected tracks from the other game that you played. <laughs> uh, yes. Corey, Corey yes. really likes the, the, the term I've come to use to describe his music as a cacophony of epic sounds. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but yes. I digress. That's how I describe it. Sakuraba too. has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. I totally stole. I, I stole that phrase from him. I, I love that cacophony <laughs> of sounds. I love it. <laughs> But in terms of Dragon Quest V itself, of course, when this came out, I had no idea what this game was. There was no way I don't think we could, really. I mean, when you're when you're extremely young and you don't have access to Internet and the, the name of the series isn't even the same yeah, as Dragon yeah. Warrior for the longest time. I think I didn't even really know about Dragon Quest V, even when I got into Dragon at the time, Dragon Warrior seven. Uh, which came out in 2000. I, I wasn't really keen on the Dragon Quest series. I had played one, but I think everyone played one as Dragon Warrior, at least at some point in their lives. But uh, in terms of the overall series, it was just, I think I played Dragon Quest Monsters for a little bit, which I actually like more than Pokemon. And uh, then, yeah, I got into Dragon, Dragon Warrior 7, and then I didn't touch it again forever until uh, Dragon Quest 8 came out. And that's when I started getting back into emulation because, you know, I started getting deployed in the Navy and I had a laptop and, you know, free games are better than games that cost money. So what's what's better to do than find an SNES 9X and a fan translation of RPGs to keep you preoccupied, right? So I think, like, I have some really, really fond memories of playing this game in Sigonella, Sicily in my barracks room when I had nothing else to do. And, uh, because you think, yeah, you're in Sicily, you have everything to do. Not when you don't have a car. <laughs> so that if you can't go anywhere and you don't have a lot of money to do things, you, you you play games, of course, especially when you know they're obtained in other means. So I I played a lot of Dragon Quest V during that time, and what I found, and this is probably going to draw a lot of ire from me, is probably the best coming of age game I've played on the Super Nintendo from that era, maybe one of the best ever. Uh, I think it's better than Earthbound in that regard. Mm. And it's interesting that you say that it, it kept the simplicity 
from the NES games, which is another philosophy that you see in Mother 2 slash Earthbound. It's just something that a lot of developers were, were rather keen on doing, especially within the JRPG genre. So you have a game where it has this unique approach that I wasn't totally used to, especially for more of a, as you said, vanilla, but very fundamentally sound JRPG, where in almost every kind of game like this, you are the hero and you are unquestionably the hero from start to finish. And there, there's nothing more to it. But spoilers in this game, you are not the legendary hero. Mm. And when I found out who was the legendary hero, it blew my mind. I thought it made the appropriate uh, circle. In fact, there's not even just one legendary hero. It, it's quite an, an amazing concept that I don't actually think gets enough credit for at this point in time. And yet you say the monster collecting thing. And that that was revolutionary. I understand that that might not be your taste. And, it's and not you really know what? Either. You're right. This was before Pokemon. I mean, the, the context of when I played the game, you know, makes all the difference versus, you know, when it originally came out. I mean, you're 100 percent right. I mean, and I was going to say, being the generic millennial, Pokemon was like a smash hit for me. So when exactly. I played Dragon Quest five, 10, 12 years later or whatever, and there was monsters that you recruit into your party i'm like oh this is really fucking cool okay yeah and you can't i'm not going to say it's the first because shin megami tensei i think did it either right at the same time right. or right before i mean the same right. year but that that concept was an entirely original one but this is one that made it more mainstream mm. and extremely more accessible you didn't have to negotiate or or do sort of like underhanded tricks to get your monsters they would just say oh you're really powerful can i join your party you might not get them in the way that you want them to but or as often as you would want them to, but that's how you got them. And uh, being able to do that at that time probably spurned a craze in Japan that eventually bled over here into uh, the West. I, I think that there is a direct connection to that. Yeah, I think you, you've got to be right, yeah. So I'm, I'm looking at a game that I, I don't know if it was released in, in the West in 1992 or probably 1993, just the way translations work back then, it would have been a big hit just because RPGs just weren't anything until Final Fantasy VII came out. But I, I think if you look at the, the totality of what this game was, especially in Japan, this was this was just a really important release in terms of JRPGs overall. Even as being as basic as it was fundamentally, it, it advanced the concept of what a plot could be in terms of generational storytelling, which is something that Fantasy Star 3 tried to do and just, well, it did it. And uh, that, was, that was pretty much the extent of what you were getting there. In addition to monster collecting and... Just storytelling, just just being a little non-traditional while being highly traditional. And you have probably one of the most unique Dragon Quest games in the entire series, even to this day. Because I can't think of another Dragon Quest game where you pass down your your story through generations the same way you do in 5. Uh, maybe I've missed it out because I, I haven't played 11. So if you do that in 11, I, I don't know. But it doesn't look like you do. You don't, but it's really good. <laughs> okay i should play it i it's should really play good. it it's on game pass i have no excuses <laughs> but uh that that's kind of where i'm sitting at i just wanted to say going back to just to put into perspective how successful not only dragon quest 5 was but the entire series was in japan you know going back to the first dragon quest japan had they they changed their entire schedule of when they would release media they used to release yep. it on like everybody else, like on a Tuesday or something like that. But then they had to change it to the weekend. They had to change it to Saturday because whenever a Dragon Quest game was released, <laughs> their economy would shut down. 
Like people would take off of work, people <laughs> would take off of school just to go get the next Dragon Quest game. And so, you know, with how well it sold in Japan is yeah. Dragon Quest V alone, uh, that just goes to show just how crazy people were for the series. Keith, you make a great point. And I think, you know, moving forward, this we're really getting probably what is the best of the East uh, among what is probably the most popular of the you West. Could say, you could say it was the beast from the East. The beast from the East. We'll do that. The beast from the East against the something, something that rhymes with West. <laughs> so we're going to take a break. And when we get back, we're going to award our points to the criteria and determine which of these games are going to get Acknowledge in each one of those categories before we determine which is going to make it forward. So we'll take a quick musical interlude and be right back. Welcome back, King of Games 1992, and we are going to start awarding points to our four areas of criteria. Now, these areas of criteria are critical commercial reception, personal attachment, legacy, and which game would we rather play today as we call head-to-head. So I'm going to kick this one off for critical and commercial reception, and I actually think this category is difficult. Because you you have to take in consideration you have the best selling and probably one of the best regarded games in Japan and uh, and same with Sonic the Hedgehog too you know regardless of what you think of its quality because I know that can be rather divisive it was one of the best regarded and best selling games of 1992 initially when I think about this like the the easy answer should be Sonic the Hedgehog too right because it sold three million more units than Dragon Quest V I did grow up in the United States and never played Dragon Quest V until much later. So you'd assume I'd go that way. And I'm going to say that you're right, because I, I'm so I'm going to vote for Sonic 2 for critical and commercial reception, just because it seems like one of those games that when it came out, I think anywhere you go, people were, were saying Sonic the Hedgehog 2 was a, it was a good game and it was selling well. Now, you could look at the sales in Japan, like 160,000 units, right? And you say, that's like nothing. That's low. Uh, Still, 160,000 units in Japan in 1992 was still a decent selling game, especially for a system that finished in third place for the generation behind the PC engine. So when you look at that, I think you can say that Sonic 2 sold well regardless of region. And uh, to this day, I understand, like I I said earlier, it is divisive in terms of its quality. But I think when people think of the Sega Genesis in in terms of the commercial reception, what what the people who are buying this game uh, thought about it or what people who bought a Genesis or had a Genesis think about the Genesis when they look at it today. It's Sonic the Hedgehog is one of the first games that comes to mind in Japan. Yeah, Dragon Quest five is still the same way. But I think even in Japan with the Super Nintendo, but I don't think anywhere outside of Japan, people are saying Dragon Quest five for the Super Nintendo. I even think in Japan, people who owned a Mega Drive would say Sonic the Hedgehog two is one of the games that they associate with that system. So from a commercial standpoint, it goes to Sonic from a critical standpoint. 
it, it still seems like the West still hasn't fully embraced Dragon Quest V for the Super Famicom. I think they moved more on to the the DS version. I think with with relatively good reason. But I still think like when when a Sonic the Hedgehog two remake comes out or a port because it's ported to everything, you get some sort of little bit of critical fanfare saying, "Yeah, go play Sonic 2. So, yeah, my vote for critical and commercial reception is Sonic the Hedgehog two. Uh, try. Oh man, uh, I mean, you know. When you look at it, it's it's hard to not look at the global impact for this category. Uh, and, you know, m- much as I wish I could just give Dragon Quest uh, points uh, all, all the way along here, uh, you know, I just can't deny like Sonic 2. I mean, that is that is one of the all time most famous games, especially in the West. I, you know, I don't I don't know what kind of pull the, the character of Sonic has in Japan particularly, but like over here, like Sonic is still popular with kids today in spite of how Sega has really mismanaged the series. And, you know, they've, you know, (laughs) there, there are a lot of interesting 3d Sonic games, I think, but are any of them even comparable to like, you know, the quality of the 3D Mario games? Probably not. I don't know if that's a if that's a, a controversial take or, or or not, but like they certainly I think that's are, an accepted take. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think there is a single 3D like I mean, if you were to take like the worst of the 3D Mario games and the best of the 3D Sonic games, like wouldn't I mean I just say this is I mean, I, I'm a little bit of a Nintendo fanboy, I'll admit, but like I I wouldn't the worst 3D Mario still be better than the best 3d sonic probably 100 probably what I is don't the know. best 3d sonic uh, <laughs> there isn't one <laughs> there, is, like, there just simply isn't i mean you know, sonic is, generations which is like a 2d game it's a little bit of both i mean I, i've played a number I, I have like a weird curiosity about 3d sonic games and i've played several of them there's several You're, i also have you are played. going to find fans of all of them oh yeah it, it, that it, will tell I, you that they're the good one. And I guess what I'm trying to get at the fact that there are so that the quality of Sonic games over the years is so spotty. The fact that Sonic still has any credibility today, I think goes (laughs) back to just the, the pure quality and enthusiastic reception of these original Genesis games. And the fact that Sega has in one way or another made it almost impossible for you to not play them uh, because they are available in so many ways. Heck, don't they just give you the ROMs on Steam straight up? You can play, you can take them and play them wherever you want. So I, I do think it's, even though it is not my personal favorite style of platformer, I, I absolutely see where that, I think Sonic's continued success owes a lot to the quality of these these early games. Uh, and, you know, for the longest time, I actually thought that 2 was considered the fan favorite, but then in recent years, I, I started seeing 3 and Knuckles people really start to chime in. So I'm actually, I thought I thought it was pretty settled that 2 was the fan favorite for a long time, but I, I'm mm-hmm. really not sure now. Uh, but it sure is either. it is up there or very close. So just in terms of, uh, you know, commercial impact, I mean, it was it was good enough to continue to make 
Sonic games today still have a significant commercial impact, even if they themselves uh, are are not always so good. So, yeah, and like I say, just the, the worldwide recognition, uh, at least in our sphere of the world, yeah, it, it's 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 got to be Sonic in terms of the 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 contemporary commercial reception and really probably the reception over the years because like I say they've released it so many times whereas Dragon Quest V has really only been re-released I think four times if you count mobile something like that yeah because so DS I, PS2 and iOS Sega gives away so many of their old games for almost nothing, but I, I bet Sonic the Hedgehog 2 has probably made more money than Dragon Quest V in the history of all versions of the game combined. That's just I, a guess. I'm not going to fight you on that. I, you're That's just a guess. That's just yeah. a guess. Please do fight me if you wish. I'd, I'd love to be wrong. Keith? I'm just disappointed in you, Chris, that you couldn't. You are the master of flipping and reversing this thing so far this season and yet you could not find a way to <laughs> give dragon quest five a pass no i'm i'm gonna pretty much echo a lot of the things you guys just said there's really no other way to spin this like like i said earlier it's absolutely impressive that dragon quest five managed to sell as much as it did within its market it, it was and still is a huge ip in japan uh but you can't say with hindsight that it would have sold more if it was released outside of Japan. You just can't. Because I think one of the reasons why Enix didn't care to publish Dragon Quest V out of Japan, one of the many reasons, is that outside of Japan nobody really cared about Dragon Quest. So, I, they made the right decision. Pro- I mean, from yeah. a business standpoint. They sure, probably, right. really so, probably did. Sad, sad as it is to say. I mean, we've talked about it so much already. You know, Sonic 2 was one of the best-selling games of the year. It was neck and neck with Street Fighter 2 in many markets, and in some of those markets overcame it in sales. So it is just staggering how many copies Sonic 2 sold. So uh, with that, I mean, I'm giving this category to Sonic 2. I mean, even if Dragon Quest V came out in the West, there is no way it would have been the game that changed the fortunes of the genre in the West. That no. was always going sure, to be Final right. Fantasy VII, no matter what did or didn't come out here. It was always going to be Final Fantasy Well, Final VII. Fantasy was always bigger than Dragon Quest here. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's why we got more of those games. And I think 9, or not 9, 11, it seems like Dragon Quest has finally started to enter, like, the wider gaming public consciousness. Like, yeah. people were aware when 8 and 9 and stuff came out. But I think it's really with 11 where people were like, dang, this, this, is, pretty, this is pretty good. Pretty good. And like you said earlier, Sonic 2, it probably didn't necessarily change the Genesis's fortunes. But it did certainly continue to keep it very, very relevant. So just the impact in that regard, even if Dragon Quest V came out here, yeah, it wouldn't have changed as much as Sonic 2 changed things here. All right, moving on to personal attachment after Sonic swept the critical and commercial reception. So for this one, let's start out with you, Try. Which which game are you more personally attached to? I, I, I'm sure, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm working through this in real time. You know, my, my mind is, is, is not automatically as made up as you would, you would think, you know, cause like I said earlier, like ultimately Dragon Quest five kind of falls like in the middle of like my Dragon Quest rankings. I, I think it's, 
excellent. That That's not necessarily a slide at. I just think some of the others I like more. But I, I do love the scope of it. You know, and it's got that one moment in the game that is is always the moment that that is that comes to mind when I think of the game. I love time skips. Like, you know, I always think Final Fantasy VI, Final Fantasy VII, they've got those time skips where there's this moment where, like, from the player's perspective, just a moment has passed. But everything in the world has changed so much. And to see just in a moment how much your circumstances change with a major time skip, that that makes that makes a real impact. I always think of moments like that when I think of Dragon Quest V. Sonic 2... <sighs> just, I, you know, I've played through it a couple of times, at least once with friends, like in a co-op setting, you know, so I, I have some attachment there. But like I said before, it did not make the impression on me the first time I finished it because it took fewer retries from the start to finish compared to Sonic 1, which is such a weird, uh, that's so backwards to what a lot of people think. That's that's the the original Nintendo gamer in me, right? Uh, that, that appreciates that kind of punishment. But uh, it, it just, like, it, it didn't solidify in my mind as much, but there are things that stand out in my mind. Like, you know, I think areas like the, gosh, I can't even think of what it's called, like the oil zone. I remember the color scheme is very striking there the level near the end of the sky, the, the casino zones in those games are always very striking. I think there's one of those in Sonic 2, at least. Yes, it's like the third or fourth stage. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you know, and the, the the chemical plant zone, you know, and the music in those areas, like the music in Sonic 2, I mean, I mean, fantastic oh, stuff. Kiss. Fantastic stuff. I mean, so, but at the end of the day, like, Sonic 2 is not my kind of game. I, I think in a lot of ways is absolutely a more impressive game than Dragon Quest V. But Dragon Quest is just more my jam, you know? I, I like the gameplay. I like the simple, comfy presentation of them. So, I mean, even though Dragon Quest V is, like, not my absolute favorite Dragon Quest, at the end of the day, I'd, I'd probably rather play almost any... I mean, I, you know, well, let me, let me put it this way. You know, I'm, I'm not like, I could see myself like playing like on my shelf, like figures from like Dragon Quest five on my shelf. I would put, well, Sonic. I mean, Akira Toriyama is, oh yeah. Uh, like, yeah. Iconic. Yeah. I, I mean, I've got, you know, I've got some like, mon like monsters from Dragon Quest, but like, no, like five specific figures or something. And I would probably like choose characters from like four or eight before I would choose characters from five, mm -hmm. but I, I wouldn't put Sonic the Hedgehog on my shelf. I just don't like Sonic the Hedgehog that much personally, <laughs> you know? So like if we're, if we're talking personal attachment, I would be proud to display myself as a fan of Dragon Quest five. I would not, not that Sonic's just not me. Sonic's not me. Dragon Quest is me. I'm giving it to okay. Dragon Quest five. I'll go next here. So for personal attachments, this one's kind of, funny for me sonic 2 is in a weird place for me because if you're talking about personal attachment with sonic games like i have personal attachment to sonic games i i like sonic i love sonic but in terms of like to the games themselves i'm more personally attached to sonic 2 for the game gear than i am for sonic 2 for the genesis and like it's a weird thing and i think it's because when i got my genesis for the first time my very first game that i had with the genesis i got was streets of rage 2 that, that came with the system that was bundled in. 
And I have a lot of great memories playing Sonic the Hedgehog 1 at my neighbor's house. And uh, I have a lot of great memories of playing Sonic 3. Sonic 2 for the Genesis, just like I played it, I had it, but it just it was it was kind of lost in the shuffle. But I have, like I said, I have, I have more formative memories of playing Sonic 2 for the Game Gear than I do Sonic 2. So, you know, Dragon Quest V, you'd think, okay, well, you never played that game. You can't have any attachment to it. Well, wrong. Because when you're, like I said, when you're locked in a barracks room with nothing better to do with your life, you have this one game and you're going to develop a bond with it one way or another, especially if if you enjoy it. I think a lot a lot of people have been there where they just have no real outlet and they have a game that they can connect to. They they form a bond with that. But yeah, when it comes to personal attachment for for Dragon Quest V versus Sonic 2, and I, I don't know if I could say this about any other Sonic game, that's uh, at least the 2D ones. I would have to say that uh, my personal attachment is definitely going to go to Dragon Quest V. So as a, you know, blue eyed, blonde hair, warm blooded American child, uh, I couldn't wait to use the $240 that I saved up cutting lawns to import Dragon Quest V when it came out. No uh, way. <laughs> No. no way! No, you fuck, didn't do I'm, that. I'm fucking lying. I'm lying. Uh, this might shock some of you, um, but yeah, no. I grew up with Sonic. I had no idea what Dragon Quest. Was. I didn't know what Dragon Quest was when I was eight years old. Like, what the fuck? No. So I played Sonic Two like nonstop when I was a kid, and um, you know, like I said earlier, I was a two console household. So he was hogging probably the Super Nintendo for Link to the Past while i got the little brother uh got sonic 2 uh <laughs> but you know that was fine i mean again we talked about the replayability of sonic and even though in hindsight sonic 2 is overall an easier game than the first one again there is that difficulty spike and i definitely felt that difficulty spike harder as a child than i do now and so um it really kept me busy back in the day. And um, just the even now, the, those those final bosses are fucking brutal. They are. I, they are. You're not given any rings in that last section of the game. It's like if because one of the bosses is Metal Sonic. And if Metal Sonic just happens to clip Sonic's toe in just like the right way, you're done. Metal Sonic also has like this really, really small like hitbox. It's like right on his like forehead or whatever. And if you just happen to miss it, you're done. So it's, it's incredibly difficult, especially for a kid. The, but there's definitely hit detection issues on uh, the Robotnik at the end. Right, yeah. Which, yeah, you know, yeah. let, let, let's set aside game design criticisms and just say, yeah, that sure did keep a little kid busy, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, sure did. So, I mean, eventually I beat it with my friend. They were an NES household and then they traded that in for the Genesis. So they were uh, specifically a Genesis household, which is where I got, I, I guess, a little more well-rounded as far as my Genesis library goes, just trading things back and forth. But we would play Sonic 2 all the time. We would, I mean, as revolutionary as the addition of Tails is, Tails is useless. You may as well just not even have them in the game. It's better uh, if you don't. So, yeah, so we would just honestly just do what we did with Sonic 1 and pass the controller back and forth every, you know, two stages, uh, which is also a, a nice change from Sonic 1, which had uh, basically three acts per stage, whereas Sonic 2 yeah. is 
two acts. It, it keeps the variety going really nicely. It does. Exactly, yes. And you get to see more of those environments. And what I will say about Sonic is that those environments are gorgeous and they're so creative. Yeah. You yes. know, and that is one thing I will give, you know, Sonic, especially over Mario. Mario's look and design is a little more cohesive, like it's a more cohesive world, but there's something about that like like that 80s pop art look of Sonic that I don't know, it just it hits me in the right way. And it's it's so much more interesting than I think anything Mario has to offer. So yeah, I I just remember spending a lot of like summer nights, you know, over at my friend's house, fucking listening to like Stone Temple Pilots or something or Alice in Chains and you know, trying to beat Sonic and um yeah, I <laughs> surprisingly there was a point where I really really enjoyed Sonic 2 and again, I had no idea what Dragon Quest was until like the late 90s early 2000s. So Unfortunately, my personal <laughs> attachment is with Sonic 2. It's kind of like a like a mild venereal disease. It's just like when Sonic stops being around, I don't think about him. And then when he pops up, I'm like, all right, yeah, <laughs> that's where my roots are. So this is going to Sonic 2. I wouldn't say unfortunately. It's completely understandable. But at least, you know, <laughs> to make you to make you feel better, at least Dragon Quest V won the category for personal attachment. So there's that, two to one. And now we're going to move on to something I think that that's a little interesting uh, in terms of legacy, because these are both sequels that are more refining a formula rather than really advancing it, except maybe in one case, which maybe I'll get to uh, when I'm up. But I know that we were having some conversations pre-recording that that Tri wanted to get into in terms of the legacy of Dragon Quest V. So I'll let him kick this off with his choice in terms of what he thinks is uh, is the game that deserves to take the legacy category. So try take it away. Yeah, well, actually, I you know kind of in prepping for this recording, I was you know I, I actually had some free time this afternoon, so I was like, you know what, I'm I'm going to finally get around to watching that Dragon Quest Your Story on Netflix, which was I that. Uh, it's, I believe it's considered a 2019 movie. I can't remember exactly when it came to Netflix versus when it released in Japan. I believe it was a theatrical release in Japan. And it's, it doesn't say Dragon Quest V in the title, to my knowledge, but it is Dragon Quest V. This is what it is based on. And I'm just going to straight up say right now, you know, spoiler alert, uh, this is spoilable. Maybe skip a little bit ahead if you don't want to be spoiled on the uh, Dragon Quest movie you can watch on Netflix. But I knew ahead of time, I, I think I knew before it even came to the West that there's a plot twist in the end where, oh, it turns out it was all just like a VR thing, which sounds 
terrible. Sounds absolutely stupid. That's probably why I didn't watch it until today. And this is the very, I'm normally like very spoiler sensitive. Like I, I'll, I'll stop watching trailers for like a game I know I'm going to buy or a movie I know I'm going to watch at a certain point. Uh, I don't, I, I, I want to go into something as blind as, I don't even want to hear someone's opinion on like a movie or a game before I play it so much. So this is one of the few times where I would say that knowing the spoiler going into it is actually beneficial because I went into this expecting to not like it very much at all. You know, in part, just if only because like the, the character designs are so, they, they don't have, aside from the monsters, they really don't have like that Akira Toriyama look to them. It's actually got a very generic, almost Western style CG animation look to it, which is not something I love too much. Mm. I don't love like, you know, just that suspect. Did they not get a Kira Toriyama to do it? Uh, I mean, it's probably inspired by. Yeah. I mean, the characters are, you can tell who's who, but like, they don't like, Mm, they, they, They've you got to you got to write the check to Kira Toriyama. Their, their, I don't understand their eyes and mouths and noses, like just the faces, like have that like very like round, like you know, it looks like like Pixar or DreamWorks could have designed these characters. Like they they have very Rough. unusual faces. But that but I will say like you know they do what we wish all game movie conversions would do. They use the music from the game. They use. Are you sure? Because <laughs> you couldn't tell. No, well, actually, I'm not, <laughs> like, I was watching this as I was watching it. Like, I'm like, I know these tunes, but I, I'm not 100% positive they're all from five. <laughs> there, might, there might be some three in here for all I know. Uh, it's but, Dragon Quest music. It's Dragon Quest music, you know? So, but, you know, they, they, they you know, they, they stuck with the themes, but then they throw this, this out of left field. There's like one, like, maybe sort of tiny, tiny clue at one point in the movie. And then it's just left field, like all of a sudden, like, oops, it was a simulation. But I was, I was talking with, uh, with you before, uh, recording. I was very shocked to hear that you had the same reaction to this that I did where I was like that, like, I actually felt kind of emotional watching this, it was all a VR simulation reveal, uh, which mm-hmm. sounds stupid. It sounds like a stupid twist, but it's actually this like really beautiful sort of validation of our our feelings that we have towards these adventures and fictional worlds and stuff uh, that we enjoyed as a kid and still enjoy today. Saying like that is important. The the feelings that you felt towards that. Were, were real fe- feelings that, you know, are, you know, it, it was, it was a fight against the cynicism of like saying like this stuff doesn't matter. And that's a message I always like to kind of preach about retro games is it's not just nostalgia. Like there is inherent value in these things that we can enjoy what we enjoyed back then. We can discover new things today uh, the, the way that we, we consume and think about this media matters. And they show how this guy who appears today, who to probably just be some Japanese salary man, uh, you know, he's wearing a, a white shirt and a black tie and he's in this VR simulation and like they show like him as a child, like he, he gets 
Dragon Quest V from his mom. Like they have like the actual like Famicom cart with the real label. He puts it in a real Famicom. You know, he's like so excited to get it. You know, he's like, thank you, mom. I mean, you know, so this is this is a, a memory that means a lot to him. They show him years later revisit the game on PlayStation 2. You know, that we haven't talked a lot about that, but uh, that is part of the game's legacy. Uh, it did get a PS2 remake. Very sort of simplistic 3D visuals in that one. I've not really played that one myself. I have it, but I need to get my Japanese PS2 fixed. But, you know, that was another way that they just kind of kept this game in the the, the cultural consciousness of Japan. And I, I, I think it was really telling to see, you know, this, this movie kind of use that as a way of communicating to people like what this game meant personally and culturally to so many people. And you could fill it, fill this story in with many other things that meant something to us when we were kids, we didn't get the chance to play Dragon Quest five, but that emotion that they were portraying like really connected with me. And I was like really surprised, like, wow, like this VR twist, like actually makes it like a story about the things we love and how those things matter and that you shouldn't be cynical and, and, and say that they don't. Uh, you can or, say or it was the, your or, story. The, that's why it's called your story. So, you know, I was thinking the whole time up to that point, I was like, you know, I feel like this would work better as a series because, you can't, it's a 30 year story. Like they skip most of the childhood in the movie, but I feel like this was actually a surprisingly effective way to make it a sort of truncated movie. And I, I walked away feeling really positive about the experience. And I don't think you, you might have trouble doing that if you didn't know the twist going you've, into it. You've definitely sold me on it because when I just read the surface level reviews of it and they talked about the twist. Uh, I was just already like, yeah, yeah, nah, I don't need to watch this. Yeah, it sounds terrible, but I, I was really surprised. Like what, like a feel good, positive thing it was. I think you were saying, I've been saying you had a, a similar experience. Uh, for me, it was like a gut punch, like the Lego movie delivered a gut punch, like a good emotional gut punch, like a real deep self-reflective gut punch. It was like, damn, this is why I love the things I love. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was actually a really effective, even though it was like such a short part of the movie, it was like really effective at getting that point across. And it really resonated with me in a way that I, I would not have expected at all. That's kind of serves as a really good vehicle for, you know, the legacy of, of Dragon Quest V. And I think, uh, I think anyone who you, you, you can just fill in the gap with that, with, you know, what was your first Dragon Quest? What was your final, first Final Fantasy? So, you know, that, that kind of stuff sometimes kind of works for me. Yeah, in terms of legacy, you know, it's certainly not been re-released as many times, but it has been redone in more varied forms, certainly. You know, whereas Sonic 2 has basically been the same thing again and again. You know, now we've got Sonic Origins, which was sort of based on, like, the, the widescreen mobile versions. But Sonic 2 has never been, like, extensively redone. It's most often emulation or a very faithful port. Dragon Quest V, you know, you've got Super Famicom, you've got PlayStation 2, you've got DS, you've got 
the version of it in this this Netflix movie. So it certainly has taken on more faces, more forms. I suspect we'll see it again in in some other form in the future. And I think also its legacy of finally just being a small part of what over the years continued to push and push and push further and further Dragon Quest towards finally being, I think I it seems like with 11, it's actually kind of quite popular outside of Japan now. I think that 11 finally did it. At least that's kind of the perception I get. I definitely get the feeling that the series has caught up here a little bit as well. Yeah, it's not I agree. selling gangbusters, but it's it's got its, uh, what, we, what would you call it? It's definitely it's carved following. Yeah, it's yeah. Right, following. Yeah. Yeah. More than yeah. a niche, so, I, I would say it's a following at this point. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, legacy. I mean, you know, this, it could really go 50-50 in a lot of ways, I think. You know, like I said before, I think that, that Sonic's enduring popularity is largely built on the quality of the, the original Genesis games. If, if not for those, I don't think Sonic would have the pull or have continued to get games over the years. But Sonic has been inconsistent quality in its legacy, and Dragon Quest has continued to be maybe the literal most consistent thing in the history of video games ever. So I, I think that the legacy of the series that has continued on from Dragon Quest V, I think that warrants giving Dragon Quest V my vote for the the legacy. But but try your story didn't have Knuckles voiced by Idris Elba. Well, you know I, I will <laughs> say it is, the it, is, too. <laughs> it is it is rather it is rather striking that both of these games for as apples and oranges as they are both have in the past couple of years gotten <laughs> movies like isn't that kind of crazy like that is that is wild i was waiting for somebody can i just smash the sonic movies now can i do that now do, do it do it i've not seen them but i do not mind spoilers for these and we're, we're, we're on to you, by the way, for what's your choice for legacy, Keith. <laughs> well, before before I get to that, I just want to say, because I, I didn't know if the Sonic movies were going to be brought up. And I just want to say, I haven't seen the second one. I've only seen the first one. And I thought it was fine. Really nothing wrong with it. It is a child's movie. It is for children. It's not for us. There are things in the movie that are callbacks to the video games but the movie, at least the first movie, really doesn't have anything to do with the games at all. At least not the first three games. It, it seems like the second movie is like, from kinda what I hear, like way. embrace that like yeah. hardcore. Okay. But I'm I'm kind of under the impression that both are pretty well liked by the fan base. Well, and what I want to sure. say yeah. is is that since the movies aren't we old people are not those movies target audience because we have to, or we, sh we should have children and be taking them to go see this because it's our childhood. We want to share our experience with them. Right. And the thing is, is that a lot of, you know, seven to eight year olds aren't going out playing Sonic two, you know, so they probably have no idea that there were even two D Sonics 30 years ago. Well, I mean, you know, Corey took his kids to Sonic 2, you know, to give them the very experience you're talking about. And afterwards, his son wanted to play Sonic Forces. So. <laughs> See, so yeah, <laughs> apparently he go. loved it, Works though. Works in mysterious I, ways. He loved it, apparently. So it's so I, was, I feel like the movies are 
yes, we probably wouldn't have the movies without those games, but I feel like they're for they're its own separate thing. I feel like it's not, I don't even know if I'm explaining that right. They're just movies like Sonic movies. I, I think what really brought me to even brought me to that conclusion is the fact that I was talking to somebody who is at least like 17 years younger than me talking about that. He had never played a 2d Mario until he had played Mario Odyssey. And I'm talking about specifically those two, those small little 2d sections in that game. And oh, I gosh. immediately wow. turned to dust. <laughs> so, <laughs> So just to kind of put that into perspective, that it's like, yeah, a lot of those kids sitting in the movie theaters might not even know Sonic is as old as it is. Right. Now, on to, I guess, what I think should win this category. And I, I think, like, Try has already hammered on a lot of the stuff that I even would want to talk about. On one hand, you have Dragon Quest V, right? It's the middle of the franchise and it sold incredibly well including the entire franchise, you know, continued to be successful. Didn't really start to get traction until 11 around here, but even so, there are still like hardcore fans that would be like, yeah, Dragon Quest V, 8, and like 11 are like the best in the series. And that says a lot about, you know, a series, it says a lot about a game in a series that, didn't really change too much from the previous games or between <laughs> games, right? You know, you look at a franchise like Pokemon, right? And that is a tried and true way of just, if you just stick to your guns and only make little in incremental changes, I mean, you're fine. And for the most part, Dragon Quest as a series has been fine. I mean, you could say that like kind of putting out the same game you know, every couple of years is kind of to their detriment, but I, I really don't think so. And I think just sticking to your guns like that is eventually going to bear fruit. They, they, they put a lot of thought into how they approach each game. And, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. you know, they, sure, they've yes. still got, you know, Yuji Hori is still like, you know, kind of conceptualizing the story for each game, even though they're all so basic, there is a lot of care and thought that goes into doing the basics right again and again and again each time. The focus, the focus they put on the characters and the stories, especially in the, again, I don't have too much experience with Dragon Quest series as a whole, but it's particularly speaking of five, it kind of seems like a small scale story, even though it does really have a lot of those fantastical elements that a Dragon Quest game would have. The fact that you were, we already mentioned, like your main character is a nobody, you know, if you're just hanging out with your family, going on these adventures and stuff like that. It's a really interesting story that feels very personal, right? And I think what, I guess comparing it to Pokemon again, Pokemon has incredibly simple story game to game you know and at least dragon quest and dragon quest 5 is actually i don't think we mentioned this is the middle game of a three-part story essentially so at least there's you know some continuity between the games as well so you have that it's tenuous very loose very in fact i would say less so than like one two and three are connected very much it's like you have swords like the okay. zenithia sword something like that yeah, yeah there's like this castle called zenithia that exists in all the games okay. but like it it's a tenuous connection so then you've got sonic 2 which refined the formula from the first game 
and would kind of be the basic template for all the very short-lived 2D Sonics after it. And I wouldn't say Sonic 2 is an inspirational to other games as it is iterative. It is a very corporatized direct response to Mario. Are you guys familiar with Gremlins by any chance? The movie Gremlins? Absolutely. I've, I've seen the first. I've not seen the second. Okay, yeah, so I, I, I view Sonic, the whole Sonic situation is like Gremlins, right? Like someone got Mario wet in the 1980s. He started convulsing, vomiting. His skin started to boil. And then out from his back popped Bonk, Gex, Crash Bandicoot, Bubsy, and Sonic. So <laughs> Mario was the gizmo of mascots. Yes. Yes. Okay. I, I've always found it surprising that like what is it about mascots that wear white gloves you know mickey mouse mario sonic what is it about glover. those characters that, that make them endure <laughs> glover <laughs> they like to do crimes apparently they yeah. they are up to no good <laughs> and then yeah so so like when we talk about legacy legacy chris knows this you don't try but you will now know that Every week I remind people that it's okay to like a video game. And that includes bad video games. And pound for pound, Sonic has objectively more terrible games than Dragon Quest. And the worst thing I think you can say about a Dragon Quest game is that it's just okay. Or that it didn't stack up to what came came before it. I, I don't think I've ever heard or seen gameplay of a broken piece of trash dragon quest game like i have of <laughs> sonic games and is sonic still around does he have movies all of that yes 100 percent. but i have never questioned why dragon quest is still around and here i sit even on the cusp of a new sonic game coming out very soon wondering why sonic still exists so <laughs> I'm giving this to Dragon Quest V. <laughs> I am impressed with your reasoning there. It's, uh, it's yeah, there you go. So, here we, uh, so no pressure on me for Legacy, at least. Uh, I, no, to no one's surprise, I think I'm also going to go Dragon Quest V here. Uh, just looking at the game itself, as, as was pointed out, if you want to compare the Legacy of the movies themselves, using both to both of your points, you look at Dragon Quest V, your story, and well, not Dragon Quest V, your story. It might as well be called that. Uh, but it just it's using the story of Dragon Quest V and it's reimagining someone's childhood and what they wanted to do in, in a video game, essentially, right? And it's using that game as the template for what that should be. If you look at the Sonic movies, you don't need Sonic 2 to make those Sonic movies. You just don't. Uh, they could exist in their in their own format. You don't need to use Sonic 2. Yeah, some of the characters, sure. If you want to go more directly to the games, which is what you know, what I'm going to do here as well. Sonic 2 was refining the original Sonic formula, and there's nothing wrong with refinement. There's zero things wrong with refinement. King of Games 2000 was Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 and Marvel vs. Capcom 2. So if you if you go by legacy, like refinement in and of itself is fine. But I think when you look at it, does Sonic 2 have the legacy that Sonic 1 does? Absolutely not. Sonic 2 was to capitalize on the popularity of Sonic 1 and just, hey, let's try to make it a little bit better and try to continue the success of our previous franchise. You look at Dragon Quest 5, yeah, there's a lot of the same things, 
But I think Dragon Quest V took more risks. They changed up the formula just a little bit more. Uh, you look at the monster catching that's in, instituted in Dragon Quest V. And who's to say if the popularity of monster catching isn't as popular as it became? And it has set the world on fire with Pokemon. Is there a Pokemon without Dragon Quest V? I'm not sure. But those seeds were planted. You can make the argument there was because, you know, Shin Megami Tensei did something very similar. But to make it as accessible in a series that was as popular to mainstream it with the Japanese audience, which inevitably brought it over to the West, it's there. Plus, you look at when Sony Computer Entertainment in Japan calls the remake Dragon Quest V the best PlayStation game ever, which it did. When I think it was like back in 2006 or something like that, or maybe a little bit later, they said Dragon Quest V for the for the PS2 was the best game ever. Does it get that if the legacy of how important it was to the Japanese market doesn't exist? Absolutely not. And it's it's difficult for me because I don't want to shit on Sonic 2's legacy because a lot of people look back at it as, as, as a great Sonic game. But maybe that's all it is, because is it much different when you consider about what it left behind than than Sonic 3 or Sonic and Knuckles or Sonic Adventure? No. But Dragon Quest V, I think it, it manages to stand out in a pack of 11 games and, and can be its own unique entity, much to its strength that the that that an RPG JRPG can have or just any RPG in any series can have. Can it stand on its own and have its own unique qualities that you can speak to years later, whereas Sonic 2 does it just get lost in the mix with everything else that every other Sonic game was doing? And I think I think yes. So in, in that sense, I think the legacy uh, I'm, I'm giving, I already said I'm giving it to Dragon Quest V, but those are my reasons. I think that it, you could really make an argument that it's close, but ultimately uh, I'm leaning that way. You make a really good point about how it stands apart from other Dragon Quest games. That made me think about what I was saying to the music. I can't tell you what Dragon Quest game any piece of music came from, but the themes and the characters and what like the basic concept of each game is, you know, we talk about how they're kind of generic ish, but they're also really do well done generic. Like I don't get confused in my head, which character was from which dragon quest game, which, what was the basic plot of which Dragon Quest game? Like, right. I remember what characters for, were from what game. Like, you say, like, oh, what was the Dragon Quest game where, you know, you get married and have a family and it takes place over 30 years? Well, that no one's going to forget that's Dragon Quest V, you know? So it is it is distinctive within its series in, in that sense. And who could forget Bianca, right? I mean, we all married Bianca, right? We, we did. Yeah, it was right? her other girl. Right? Yeah. If I replay the game, though, I'll... I'll uh, I'll, I'll consider consider doing I'll go the, with other. the bad Maybe. girl in the DS version. I want the bad girl. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. We never mentioned the DS version does have a unique marriage option. Oh, oh, I learned <laughs> something today. So legacy, it goes to Dragon Quest Five, three nothing, and we're going to go to the last criteria before we take another break and uh, decide which game is going to advance. So let's go to head to head, which is strictly speaking, what game you'd rather pick up and play today, and. We're going to start with you, Keith. If you're going to pick one game that I could say, let's play a game today, what would you what would you pick? And that not just today, maybe over, you know, because Dragon Quest V is a long game. Well, I did play both of them recently. Man, Sonic 2, like when I think about Sonic 2, I'm always like, wow, that sound like that sounds like a fun game, fun game to play right about now. Just pop it in. Just have a Good to short levels, whatever, you know, yeah. But what I came to find is that Sonic 2 is only fun to play for about 10 minutes. 
the first four stages are fine, but everything after that, uh, especially those later stages, are awful. The design of the game is almost incoherent at times. It, it doesn't seem like it knows what it wants to do. You know, one minute wants to dazzle you with how fast Sonic can go with, you know, his incomprehensible speed that even sometimes kills you because the camera cannot keep up with Sonic. And then um, if it does work out, it immediately punishes you uh, because you just run into something. So th there's so many examples that I could bring up right now in which I accosted my TV set many times because I was like, what is happening? Who thought to even put this in here? We didn't even talk about how this was kind of like the introduction of Supersonic as well. Because the, um, what are they called? The Chaos Emeralds were collectibles in the first game, but they really didn't have a purpose other than to get like the actual special ending. ending. Right, right. So at this point, the Chaos Emeralds, you kind of have more of a reason to collect them because if you get all seven, they basically make Sonic a Super Saiyan because I don't know why not. Sonic just steals ideas now. So speaking of Toriyama, <laughs> you know, right, yeah, exactly. he's, he's part of he's Sonic is part of Dragon Quest Legacy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, in short, I'm not going to bash Sonic here as much as I want to. My my mouth has been filled with blood for the past hour and a half. <laughs> I, I'm giving this to Dragon Quest Five. I love the slow buildup of the game. I love you know the simple mechanics of the game as well. We kind of talked a lot about the cast. The game is, you know, of the JRPGs that I've played is probably among the best characters that I've played in a JRPG because they give them so many characteristics. You spend so much time with all of the characters. Uh, one game that came to mind recently replaying Dragon Quest V was Dragon Valor. And that game kind of follows it doesn't follow one specific character but it follows an entire family through the game as you play it but the problem with that game is that you are not sticking with the same characters so you you might be starting out as the father and then you find out the father has the son and then as you go from act one to act two the father's completely out of the story and you are just solely sticking with the child and then that child has a child act three starts and now that father's completely out of the story. And now you're so you don't ever spend enough time with any of these characters. Where in Dragon Quest V, there's, I mean, spoiler alert, I guess your father ends up getting kidnapped in like the first couple hours or whatever. There's always these, these other ancillary cast, cast of characters that are always kind of around you. And then, of course, you've got your family. The narrative is. Again, very personal, kind of as fantastical as it can get. Seems a, a, a little more low stakes as compared to something like Final Fantasy, where you're time traveling and going to floating spaceships. And <laughs> for whatever reason, you'll be in a cave and a boulder will fall on your character. <laughs> like in Final Fantasy 3, it also just, well, they're dead now, I guess. Like, you know, there's no real emotional impact or anything like that. Uh, there's something about Dragon Quest V that feels very familiar. And it it's like a warm, comfy blanket that you just want to curl up and, and live in. You know, I don't want to <laughs> live in Sonic 2. So <laughs> I'm giving it to <laughs> Dragon Quest V. You know, you think when you think about Sonic 2, you think of a nice short game. 
you think of fast action, you think of something enjoyable. And that's what I would like to think Sonic 2 is. But then I get to Metropolis Zone. And Dude. then I think one of two things. This game has been going on a little bit too long. Yeah. And fuck these praying mantises. Yes. Just fuck them. <laughs> I want nothing to do with them. Every single time I'm running, they have their little scissors that I think when I jump over, they still hit me. And uh, I, I'm just I almost getting to the point where I'm just done with it. it. It it doesn't have a save feature. And anyone who's been listening to this show knows that if a game doesn't have a save feature it is a big pet peeve of mine, which is why I will always talk shit on the NES version of Super Mario Brothers three warp whistles are not a save feature. And guess what? Sonic 2 doesn't even have those. So when you look at a game <laughs> that if you just want to sit down and play for like 45 minutes to an hour that flows and doesn't feel like it, Sonic 2 to me just does not feel like that game. Plus, it incentivizes you to get these Chaos Emeralds the entire game. And then you get to like Chaos Egg Zone or whatever the flying level is where you're like in an airship. And you have to be very, very precise in your platforming. And you, you need to like, because you have like disappearing platforms and you have all these things going on. Now, this is something they fixed in Sonic 3 and later 2D Sonic games, where if you press jump, you have to press jump again to turn to supersonic. Guess what? game doesn't do that. That's Sonic the Hedgehog 2, where if you have all the Chaos Emeralds, which you can't obtain in like the, the third level or so by the way they do it, uh, you turn into Super Sonic just by jumping if you have over 50 rings, which seems awesome until you're in a level that requires precise platforming because Super Sonic does not stop. He is very hard to control, and you're in the last level where you've put all your time into making sure that you are just destroying everything. You're doing so good, you feel so powerful, and then you just die ten times because you fell off a cliff. And by the way, you lost all your continues, so there's that. I just want to add to your little supersonic rant because right. in fucking Mystic Cave Zone, there is just that giant pit of spikes that you cannot avoid the first couple times oh, yeah. you're going through it. And you either get stuck down there and have to wait till just lose your coins. Or if you're supersonic, you have to wait until you are just done with being supersonic. <laughs> like, it's so fucking infuriating. I hate it. You know, I, 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 I have it. to admit, I have never, ever even considered attempting to get all of the Chaos Emeralds in any Sonic game. Like, I, that I'm makes just, it like, bad. Not, I'm just not <laughs> interested in making that effort. That makes it bad game design, <laughs> but I'm sorry. So if, I don't think if, if you could tell, I don't have to say anything about Dragon Quest V. I don't. I think you can already tell. I'm just going to go. I'd rather play Dragon Quest V because I like JRPGs. This could this could be Mystic Quest for all I give a shit. I'm rather playing that because when I sit down and I think about what the last couple levels of Sonic 2 are, I don't want to put myself through that pain or stress. I am too old for this shit. I want a good time. I don't want to be made a mockery of because I'm I got the Chaos Emeralds. Okay, so yeah, head to head, I'm going Dragon Quest V. Dude, I out of all of us. I thought I was going to be in your position. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, 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 I gotta say, you know, I, I do like just popping in a, you know, just a, a, a easy to play platformer, you know, like you say, there's nothing wrong with the first bit of Sonic two. I can't say I have a, you know, I've beaten Sonic two at least twice, but it wasn't something I grew up with. Uh, so I've not beaten it a bunch of times. 
Uh, it's not as solidified in my mind, you know, the, the trials and tribulations of the later stages. Uh, but you, you have, have definitely scared me off on, uh, bothering to make future attempts. (laughs) Uh, But that said, I mean, I probably turn on Sonic two more often than I turn on dragon quest five, just because like when you're making videos, videos on my life in gaming, we like to generally show like a variety of games rather than just like showing like one game a lot of the time. And uh, sure, Dragon Quest V pops up here and there. You know, I've got a Japanese cart that's got some mid-game saves on it, you know, so it's easy to, you know, just load that up. Battery's not dead, you know. I can, you know, show some footage from Dragon Quest V. But I probably do so- show Sonic 2 more often in videos just because it's just easier to just get straight into a platformer, do a little something in it. Uh, you know, usually just Green Hill Zone or whatever. It's not going, not going to bother to get to Chemical Plant or whatever or beyond most of the time. Uh, you know, great music and stuff. You know, it's 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 very easy thing to show in video, load load up, show in videos. But would I rather be playing it? Absolutely not. I, I, in fact, like there are, I have three versions of Dragon Quest V and I've only played through the DS version. You know, I own the PS2 version. I own the Super Famicom version. I've tinkered around in them, but I have not played through them. And that is something I would like to do in both of those versions one day before I die. I would like to play through those at least once. That, that is a moment in my life that I look forward to. And I, I, I can't say I particularly have any like plans or looking forward to of, of playing through Sonic 2 again. Also, you know, this is weird. I would not have expected this, but I've kind of found as I get older, when I was younger, I was always like, whew, I just beat an RPG. I'm going to need to take a break from RPGs for a month or two. And now I'm just like, I beat an RPG and I'm like, hmm, I know it's, they're really long, but I, I just feel like playing another RPG, <laughs> you know, it's I just like, like playing book. RPGs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, sure. It takes me longer to get through them than it used to, but like, I, I just, I, I'm just kind of ready to start the next RPG after I finish the last one. Like I, like at any given moment, like, I'm just like, yeah, man. I want to play an RPG and I would love for sometimes in the future for that RPG to be Dragon Quest five one day. So, so heck yeah, I'd, I'd love to be playing me some Dragon Quest five at any given time over Sonic two. So just to recap before we make our decisions and close this out for critical and commercial reception, we have Sonic going up three, nothing for personal attachment. We have Dragon Quest five going up two to one. And then Dragon Quest V just dominates in terms of legacy and head-to-head going three to nothing. But Dragon Quest V may have taken three out of the four categories, but will it advance in the King of Games 1992? Stay tuned right here, and we'll get back and give you that answer.
okay, it's time to make our decisions. It's time to choose the game that will advance in the King of Games 92. Uh, as we've been doing it, the, the person who's been hosting the episode gets to start off with their decision first, just so it doesn't look like we're trying to manipulate anything at the end. But it's not like I've done that ever in the King of Games history. Not like getting Marvel vs. Capcom 2 to the finals. That didn't happen because of me. I'm just joking. I'm full of myself. Um, <laughs> probably going to take that all out. Um, <laughs> okay. All right. So I'm looking at these two games, and you have... As we've stated earlier, probably, you know, the, the most culturally significant game of the West and the most culturally significant game of the East. So, I mean, either of these games, I, I think, make a strong case for potentially being the, the, the king of games for the year 1992, right? But what does it come down to for me? I think when I'm looking at these two games, I'm looking at Dragon Quest V. I'm looking at this game that is completely relatively unknown to Western audiences, especially in its Super Famicom form. Like, no one has played it. And I'm looking at a Sonic the Hedgehog game, which I think many people in Japan couldn't give two flying fucks about. Let's just, let's just be real. They don't, I don't think they care about Sonic 2 in particular. I'm not saying Sonic in general, just at least not Sonic 2. It didn't sell that well. So I have to kind of look at it as how I feel about these games now. What game has carried to today maintain its reputation as being a good game that you don't really hear that much negative about, even from, you know, outside sources or people who have never played either game before and they sit down and they play it. This is extraordinarily difficult for me to say. Uh, I've been thinking about this for the, ever since I scheduled this episode, because I hate to see these two games go up against each other in the first round, because I do think Sonic 2 deserves its spot right here. And I actually think Dragon Quest V should have been higher, because I think if anyone actually sits down and looks at what Dragon Quest V accomplished and what Dragon Quest V did in Japan, I think when you compare it against a lot of these other games, it would have been higher than a 12 seed. I just believe that. And with that being said, that's why I'm saying Dragon Quest V should take down Sonic. Because I think that Dragon Quest V is a far more significant game and is a far better game than Sonic the Hedgehog 2. And yes, a lot of people are going to look back and they are going to say Sonic the Hedgehog 2 reminds me of the Sega Genesis. But these are the same people that are going to play it for 20 minutes, be happy and move on. Dragon Quest V provides a much longer, much more fulfilling experience that has touched millions of lives worldwide probably just like sonic 2 but i think the actual core experience of the game that is dragon quest 5 did that in such a more significant way at the end of the day than sonic the hedgehog 2 which just gets lost in the deluge of sonic releases in, in the past 30 years so i'm choosing dragon quest 5 as my choice to move on and i know a lot of people are especially the our american audience who listens to us are probably very angry oh well deal with it there's so many pissed furries out there you might get redeemed we don't know we have two more votes keith has said he's had blood in his mouth so i'm going to avoid him <laughs> while he he purges that out so he can talk in a little bit so i'm going to turn this over to try try what is your choice to move on in the king of games 1992 well, I mean, you know, at least from a Western perspective, I mean, it feels like it should be Sonic, right? Uh, you know, it, it, it feels wrong, it, you know, just just too against the grain to not have Sonic proceed because it's such an important game to so many people. 
I, I think through these conversations, I mean, obviously, I let's face it, I didn't need any convincing to pick Dragon Quest over Sonic, but in the 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 conversations we've been having over the past two hours <laughs> has has further like reinforced to me like you know the greatness and importance and, and, and meaningfulness of uh, uh, the Dragon Quest series and Dragon Quest Five in particular. It's really made me want to uh, revisit you know what I've you know, generally considered like a middle entry for me in Dragon Quest. And I, I would like to replay it and see if it maybe climbs in the ranks a bit for me. You know, but you, you all have really, I think, presented compelling arguments that, you know, Dragon Quest V is just real good. And and Sonic 2 is, it is, it is a technically impressive game. I, and I would take its soundtrack over Dragon Quest V's, personally. Not that I would want its soundtrack in Dragon Quest V, but, <laughs> you know, its soundtrack is phenomenal. Uh, and uh, just the the way it runs on the Genesis is so beautiful. It is a very impressive game. But do I want to play it right now compared to how much I want to play Dragon Quest V? No. So I, I'm I'm going to say that Dragon Quest V, like, you know, hey, it's it's worth your time and it's it's worth advancing in this competition. Well, I guess there's no pressure on you, Keith. So let's let's hear has if the blood has come out of your mouth, we we will we will hear your frothy opinion on this. Well, you were just spitting so much venom earlier, so I don't even need to <laughs> even need to do anything else. Uh I think so when I hear people say that they don't like Dragon Quest. I don't think it's because they actually think that they're bad games. I think it's because they just might not be into the series quote unquote like dull approach to like the storytelling and, and mechanics uh, that the series is known for. And so I don't think I don't think any rational person would say that that's bad. I, I think they would just say that it's just not for them. I think Dragon Quest V is probably the most approachable game in the series as as we've talked about it. I feel like it is a very much like entry level game for somebody to come into. I, I think just because the way the story is structured, there are very clear acts in the game. Uh, the mechanics, as we've talked about, are very easy to understand. Visually, Dragon Quest V is not eye candy it's not out to even in 1992 it wasn't out there ready to blow minds and use you know state-of-the-art super famicom graphics or anything like that that's not what they set out to do chunsoft approached dragon quest 5 with the intent of making a stable gameplay experience with a solid story and i think they accomplished that in spades STI and, and Sega almost had the opposite approach. And, you know, nobody sets out to make a terrible game. You know, it's very hard to make video games. It, it really is. And Sega struck gold with the first Sonic game. It helped them climb the ladder and dethrone Nintendo. And, you know, as we talked about earlier, they might have just been coasting off of that success for a while, right? And STI was kind of like, well, 
let's just make that again with just some very small changes. And those small change, changes are like improvements, but I, I feel like it's not enough. Sonic 1 had potential, and I'll say the same thing for Sonic 2. It has potential, but dude, I mean, it's a sequel. A lot of that potential should have been realized the second time around. You just don't, you don't double down on what came before, unless it's already perfect. Sonic 2 and the entire franchise has always had really good ideas, some <laughs> more exp experimental than others, but their ideas... They never seem to stick the landing. They never get it until, I guess, 2017 when a fan came out with a game and it's kind of been known as to be the best Sonic game, ironically. <laughs> I wish, you know, when I think about Sonic 2, I wish I knew what I saw in it as a kid. But the more I play it over time, the more I play it throughout life, the more I hate it. And it sucks because Sonic fans are the most, like, mistreated fan base out there they they don't deserve they don't deserve the games they get and so unfortunately i'm going to carry on that tradition by putting my vote in for dragon quest 5 the number 12 seed dragon quest 5 with the sweep over our number five seed sonic the hedgehog 2 this is wild well there we are dragon quest 5 advances I this I is don't nuts. I like I feel great but I don't feel great. <laughs> oh no, I I feel I feel pretty great. <laughs> I, I I I get what you're saying because I I want like I I I expected Sonic to advance to the second round but like it went up against the wrong game. Like uh, I, mean, I, I I just think it did. I feel like the only reason that I would be voting for for Sonic would just be the 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 cultural significance yeah. the 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 mind share in 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 the West that it has, but that would just that would just be me parroting the expected cultural response. Yeah, I mean, just, when we come down to it, we're trying to decide what is the best game of 1992, and. We're lying to ourselves, or at least we're lying to our our experiences yeah. and inclinations if we're just choosing Sonic Two because people right. expect us to. Right. Yeah. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely correct. So that concludes another episode of the King of Games 1992. That's our word, and we're sticking to it. So before we go, I've had two fantastic guests that have been with me today to help me get. Well, I don't want to say help me get Dragon Quest V across the finish line because that was not my intention. <laughs> but uh, to, to help me get through this episode. So please, by all means, please, please, please plug yourself. Uh, I'll start out with you, Keith. Please, where can we find you on the Internet? Well, if you are listening to this very podcast, you are capable of listening to podcasts. So you might be able to find my show, The Main Quest Podcast, on the podcatcher of your choice. And if I say pod one more time, my head might explode. If you cannot find me on the podcatcher of your choice, you can shoot me a DM on either Twitter, and that is at MainQuestPod. That's what that is. And then you can also shoot me a DM on Instagram if you'd like. Uh, also give me a follow because you can always check out what's coming up on the show. And that's the main quest on Instagram. Awesome. All right, try. 
Where can we find you? Pretty much just uh, my life and gaming on YouTube. Uh, you know, it's just a show about whatever the heck we want to do in video games. We're kind of most well known for uh, more like retro tech type stuff, but we like to do other things. Mix it up sometimes. Sometimes it takes us a really long time to make videos because they end up being pretty in-depth most of the time. So, uh, yeah, those come out when they come out. And, uh, yeah, that's about it. You know, I do not have a, a, a whole lot of other internet presence these days. I'm I'm, I'm one of the founding members of a, of a backlog tracking site called The Backloggery. And we, uh, we do uh, Twitch streams uh, with the community there uh, every Monday on twitch.tv slash backloggery. And we also stream on My Life and Gaming YouTube channel every Sunday night at 8 p.m., Eastern time. So, uh, yeah, that, that's, uh, that's about the extent of my internet involvement these days. You're really underselling my life in gaming. Cause you guys really just, yes, you are do some very in-depth breakdowns of some of the best tech there is out there for, you know, playing retro games on, you know, modern monitors and TVs. Well, you know, I, I always, I always like to say that when I, it's not necessarily because we're experts on this stuff. When I want to personally learn about a subject, making a video is actually like the best learning tool for myself because, you know, I really want to make sure that I test this and do it right. I, I think I was telling you before uh, the the show started when we were talking about, you know, the uh, the LG OLED review I did. If I hadn't been doing a video, I probably would not have found nearly so many quirks in the C2 model and might have not made the decision in time to exchange it for the C1 model. Uh, so really, you know, I am just learning through the process. And I think that's why uh, Corey and I, uh, I think that's what people connect with on the show. Yeah, the passion the, shows. The, that well, and and two that we we aren't like tech experts, so we're able to kind of convey this in sort of a a digestible method of hey, I just learned and started to understand this thing. Here here's how I would explain it, you know, rather than trying to explain some technical thing I've known, you know, all my life, or at least my adult life. It definitely comes through, and uh, I I just like Keith, I I deeply appreciate your channel. I know I told you this before, but. Uh, yeah, My Life in Gaming is fantastic. So everyone, you, you better go look at My Life in Gaming. Do it. Also look at the main quest. Definitely do that too. And uh, all the other podcasts that are participating in the King of Games 1992. This is a big collaborative effort and we can't do it without any of them. So uh, thank you to all of you. And if you're here for the Retro Hangover podcast, you found us. Hi. Uh, if you're a patron, thank you for being a patron. You're getting early access to all these episodes. So we deeply appreciate you as... We are want to do. And if you are not, and you're listening to this on the general lease. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to find where more of our other stuff are, you can go to our link tree, which is linktr.ee slash retro hangover. Uh, we also have our uh, streams on Sunday uh, at twitch.tv slash retro hangover at 9 p.m. Eastern time. So go check out my life in gaming. And if you're enjoying that, you can stay with them. But uh, if you want to like change the channel, like between WCW and WWF in the late 90s, you can do that. Uh, so you can watch us both. But, you know, check it out. Just check out both channels. Subscribe to twitch.tv slash retro hangover. We hope to see you there. So uh, thank you both. Try and Keith for stopping by today. It was a great time. 
deeply appreciate it. And until next time, play with your generationally descending joysticks.